0: Awaken podcast. I hope you enjoy
1: the teaching. Hello, Awaken, and welcome to my living room, the unexpected start for this week's service. Wherever and whenever you're tuning in, thank you for making Awaken part of your week. I'm Danny Langseth. I'm the finance chair of Awaken's advisory team. December is a really important month for Awaken's financial life, so we thought it was time to dust off the old sweater vest and start this morning with a brief update on Awaken's finances. We're now five months into our 2021 fiscal calendar, which runs from July through June, and I'm really pleased to announce that our our finances are off to a great start for the year. We've received about $208,000 in gifts, so we're running about 10% ahead of our giving budget on the year. And on the expense side, things are similarly favorable. We've, we've spent $212,000, which is about 5% favorable to that budget too. So if you've got your calculator out, you know that that adds to a small loss in the first couple months of the year, which is not something we're concerned about. That's running ahead of our budget, but it is the reason that I'm here to talk to you today. Awaken, like many nonprofits, is reliant on December giving to make our budget work. You may remember from the past my middle finger graph, which is gonna come up on the screen now, which shows our net income by month. And that giant bar in the middle is December. Using last year's numbers here as an example, we took in $59,000 of net income last December, which allows us to run with some deficit behavior for the rest of the year. So just simply, we're really reliant on December giving to make our budget work. So if you've heard one of my sweater vest updates before, you know this is first, I'm going to encourage you to log on to Planning Center and consider becoming a sustaining giver by committing to make a recurring gift. But I also want to encourage you to consider including Awaken in any of your year-end giving plans. Again, we're so reliant on these gifts to bring the Awaken that you know and love to life. So why might you consider supporting Awaken? What could your dollar do at Awaken? Your support allows us to pay and nurture our staff. They've been working their butts off this year to adapt to the realities of remote church. Your support brings our community offerings to life, including church in a box, learning labs, and everything else that you see in the Awaken weekly. Your support allows Awaken to come alongside members of our our community who might be experiencing financial hardship. And this year we've been able to provide seven gifts from the Benevolence Fund so far. And beyond Awaken, your support allows us to provide missional support in the Twin Cities and beyond so this year we've continued our support of every meal, formerly known as Sheridan Story, and will distribute three large mission grants guided by the community's input before the end of the year. All these parts of Awaken that you know and love, the staff, the community life, missional activity, can only happen with your support. We're extremely grateful and humbled for the support of this community so far this year and look to use those gifts to care for our staff and community and the broader community. So thank you for your support, and thank you for considering "Awaken" in your year-end giving plans. So with that, let's prepare our hearts and our minds to hear this week's scripture.
2: Luke 2:25 through 38. Now there was a man in Ju- oh, no. in Jerusalem <laughs> called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign
3: Lord, of many hearts will be revealed and as a sword and a sword will pierce your own soul too there was also a prophet Anna the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher she was very old she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 she never left the temple but worshipped night and day fasting and praying Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem.
0: Today is the third Sunday of Advent. We invite you to consider the arrival of love.
2: Teresa Sales, and uh, I was given the theme of love for a poem. Uh, So as I was thinking about love in the context of Advent and Christmas, uh, a lot of different things came up, things like family gatherings, being with people, which obviously this year is very different. Um, Hallmark movies, like there's, love has a very uh, varied context here in Christmas. Um, But as I I thought about it in the context of, of Jesus and his coming, um, I really began to, to think of a different kind of love. Um, it was um, a love that uh, has a specific word in Greek. It's called agape. You've probably heard of it. Um, but it, it is a love that is, is other-centered. So most loves that we, we talk about um, are very me-centered. So it's about how I feel. It's about my experience, um, how I interact with something outside myself. But it's all kind of about me. And uh, agape love, which is the love of Christ, is something that that comes um, out of us. Um, And it is based off of what we lose in the act of loving and not about my own experience. And so um, that brought me to Isaiah 61, which is uh, where the prophet is speaking into essentially uh, injustice and how uh, God is going to be bringing about restoration and justice in the world. And then uh, Jesus himself then in Luke 4 takes that same passage and uses that as his own kind of sounding board for what he's going to do. Um, And I think that is very telling of the kind of love that he is going to be bringing to the world. Um, That he's going to be bringing a love that is about peace and restoration and justice, but it's coming through love. Um, And so I'm realizing that as much as I want to bring peace and justice and restoration into the world around me, I, if I don't have the Christ-like agape love in my heart, if that's not the filter through which everything passes, I'm missing something really vital. Um, and I, I cannot fix the brokenness of the world because I am part of the brokenness. But the thing is, is that the perfect love of Jesus can fix that. And so um, he is still making all things new. And so when I think of Christmas, that's what I think of when I think of love. And so here is the poem, and it's called Agapao. Fingers curled in tight, a fist held high to the air, justice, righteousness, freedom. The voice rings out, a guttural cry resounds. He does not speak for himself, he speaks on behalf of another who speaks on behalf of the neglected beloved, those whose voices have been silenced, smothered, pushed aside, cut off, locked up, drowned out. His gaze sweeps the crowd, piercing eyes hold them there. Oppression, release, good news. Good news for whom? His words are not wanted. His words sting, hitting the weakest spot. They are reminded of how they have fallen, how they have broken faith, how they have forgotten to advocate for one another, to seek justice, to walk humbly, to show mercy, to love their neighbor as themselves, and thereby love him who formed them and sustains their very existence. Duty does not bring out the words. Their origin is not in hatred or pride. This declaration, proclamation, jubilation is formed and molded and shaped in the swirling essence of love itself, love that is flowing and dynamic and holy, love that connects and holds fast eternal. Love that empties to encompass everything. Love that gives all to receive all. Love that knows. Love that sees. Love that hears. Love that sacrifices for the sake of all the beloved. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Teresa. Let's sing together. Before we move on let's sing the song of blessing over our kids Welcome our artist today, who is Mark Markison.
3: Hi, everyone. Uh, This painting I did uh, a few months back, but kind of in the middle of all of the stress that all of us have been going through with COVID and uh, being at home and seeing or not seeing friends and family and all that. And then all of the, the unrest and the upheaval which I think is a a good thing. I mean, not the destruction, but I just think it's important that sometimes there has to be that before there can be actual real change. Um, This painting is called Justice Will Be Done. And I'm not sure, not having done this before, what all you you can see, but I have various people in modes of, of expression about suffering or caring metaphoric heavy loads and so what I wanted to say is that Jesus came to save us during this Advent season Um, but what does that mean practically you know when I grew up it was just out there you know it was a spiritual thing that he did you know and I wasn't sure about the practical implications but I've learned over the years that it means that he came to be present with us In a real tangible way, sometimes all of us have probably experienced that. And if you haven't, ask for it or respond because He invites us to that. And um, He wants to identify with us that's what He did on the cross. And even now, when He's with us here, He invites us to be with Him, to be open to Him as He shares the suffering with us. Many of us have been wounded in one way or another. Um, During our lives and he walks with us in our brokenness without condemnation But with love and mercy and grace He keeps picking us up over and over and over again And he invites us to healing and transformation and strength and resilience Even if we still walk with a limp So that's what this painting is about things we carry culturally and individually, and to be reminded that we don't have to carry the weight all by ourselves or without hope. He promises that justice and restoration and transformation will be done. We just have to join in in solidarity with each other and respond to his invitation.
4: Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to week three of Advent, uh, one of my favorite series in the year. I was just talking to Mark before we came out. Uh, I love this series because it showcases just how deep and how rich and talented this church is and the people who make it up. So thank you to those who participated so far. Um, So as we settle into the rhythms of Advent, the longing, the waiting, the anticipation, uh, the darkness... December 21st, the winter solstice still in front of us, the darkest and shortest day in the year. I wonder what you're noticing. Like, what is being born in the womb of winter for you? What is being planted, prepared in you in the darkness? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my family and I went to Home Depot I think it was a Saturday too for a Christmas tree and a couple of other things. And you know, when you take a few different people to the store, uh, sometimes things just sort of end up in your uh, shopping cart. And uh, by the time you get to the front of the uh, store, you don't you don't you don't even realize that it's there. Uh, this was the case. So uh, we get to the we get to the front of the store, and uh, I notice that there is a a box of uh, like a, a kit of Micro green, a microgreens grow kit has made it into our shopping cart. And so I hold it up and I say, like, um, excuse me, does anybody even know how much these cost to buy in the store? Like, is it worth it to buy this kit? Which is the wrong question, Micah, totally wrong question. Like, you should know this by now. Come on, it's about the process. It's about the seeds. It's about growing something together. You'll probably get a sermon illustration out of it. And here I am telling you. Um, because I get home, and the first thing you're supposed to do with this, this microgreens grow kit is prepare the soil, which is a de- uh, like a, a dehydrated hockey puck of soil. So you put it in this little tray, you add some water, and then basically this thing expands, and you sort of prepare the soil, and then you, you scatter the seeds in the soil, and then you put it out in the sun. No, that's not true. That's not what you do with the microgreens grow kit. You actually cover it for 3 full days you subject it to darkness why because something happens in the darkness like the th- the first thing crucial for growth happens in darkness those little seeds that have been planted in that soil crack open and they begin to take root they begin their life and so as we begin this journey of advent again I wonder if you might notice the seeds that are being planted in the darkness. And then would you trust that God is God, doing what God does, caring for, nurturing, um, preparing, holding that space so that in the spring when it finally comes, and it always does, and light shines and warms the soil, that things will begin to grow in you and in me. Be that in the form of patience or a resilient joy in the simple things, maybe even an unwavering hope in the midst of trial or suffering. Uh, Today, Simeon and Anna, two characters I love. And Luke, Luke's the only gospel that has Simeon and Anna. Like what a great story and two amazing characters and Luke's the only one that cashes in on that. Maybe that's part of why I love Luke so much. He's a great storyteller, and he includes Simeon and Anna. Now, I don't know about you, but I have no problem imagining these two people. Like, if you grew up in the church like I did, this is Jerry Pipes and Lois Nyman, or whatever the names of those people are in your church, who you think of as Simeon and Anna, you know, hanging around the church all the time. Uh, But in Luke, it's an accessible story. It's down to earth. It's like day to day, day, you know, the people that you would have seen at the grocery store. Um, A great story. Uh, February 3rd in the a little bit of history here in the tradition in the Anglican Church and in the Orthodox Church February 3rd is celebrated as uh, or a feast day that celebrates this event in Luke's gospel now little known fact that the Anglican Church only celebrates Simeon the Orthodox Church includes Anna there are people here at Awaken who've said you know Micah I'm going to love the Orthodox Church maybe this is why or and if you didn't know that maybe maybe today is the first step of a journey of love A a, a journey of affection for you in the Orthodox tradition. I don't know. That's free though. Um, But what can we learn from the prophets of Christmas? That's the question we want to ask this morning. These people who speak on behalf of God, who nurture and nourish, evoke a consciousness and a perception, a seeing and a thinking that's alternative to the one that's being offered in the day. And Simeon and Anna, they didn't miss a beat. They didn't miss what was happening in their midst, which is contrary to so many other people in the Gospels, in the story. There's all these people who, like, forget or, or don't see what's happening or miss the things that are happening under, un, right under their noses. But Simeon and Anna, they get it. And, and unlike a cast of characters who also see what's happening at Christmas. You get the shepherds. You get the wise men. You get Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna. Um. People who missed out on what God was up to. This coming of Emmanuel. And can you imagine missing Christmas? Like, can you imagine missing the day of Christmas in our age? Like, nobody would do that, right? No one would miss Christmas. But can you, can you be on the mountain, but not really be on the mountain? Can you, like, experience Christmas, but really miss what God is doing and giving and offering in Christmas? Arguably, you can. And so my hope and prayer for us this morning is that as we turn to these two prophets that we would begin to listen and hear. What was it that they nurtured? What kinds of people were they that they could see what was happening that so many other people missed? So here's the question. How do we see? How were they able to see? In the midst of the chaos and in the confusion of their day and in their age, which of course, there's likely chaos and confusion in our day, so how do we not miss? what maybe God might be saying and offering to you and to me. So, three observations. Uh, Suffering, the scope of what God was doing, and active participants. So let's talk about suffering first. Simeon and Anna, these two were in tune with the suffering of God's people. Now, for the most part, in our day, we have an aversion to suffering. Um, Think about the process of, of life and death, of birth and death. And everything in between, like comparatively, we tend to move towards drugs or narcotics or the the uh, the redirection or the alleviation of pain and suffering at any and all costs. We we avert it, which is a bit of a problem for those of us who follow Jesus, right? Like it seems that Jesus kind of had a nose for suffering. Luke is intent to tell us that Simeon and Anna were in tune with the suffering of Israel, verse twenty-five and verse thirty-eight. Often it's read as this return from exile, this longing, this hope, this expectation we've talked about that the people had that God would return and and, and essentially liberate them, rescue them from their suffering. Listen to the prophet Isaiah chapter 52, burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. Chapter 49, shout for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Isaiah 40, famously, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Going back to the beginning of the story for God's people called the Exodus, we see God who hears the cry of the people in Exodus chapter 3. Jesus himself on the cross suffers on our behalf. Paul says that in our weakness and in our suffering, God is made strong. And yet, our tendency is to move as far away from suffering as we can possibly get as quickly as we can. But yet, in this story of Jesus' birth, we find Simeon and Anna, two people who nourished and nurtured and evoked an alternative seeing and thinking who were in tune with the suffering of God's people. Um, Some of you may remember this, uh, I don't know if it was an interview or I think he was invited to speak at the National Prayer Breakfast, but Bono, the lead singer of U2, and in this kind of famous uh, moment he said this, I mean God may well be with us in our mansions on the hill, I hope so, I'm guessing he has one of those. He may be with, with us in all manner of controversial stuff, maybe, maybe not, but one thing we can all agree, all faiths, all ideologies, is that God is with the vulnerable and the poor. God is in the slums in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence of a mother who has infected her child with a virus that will end both of their lives. God is in the cries heard under the rubble of war. God is in the debris of wasted opportunity and lives. And God is with us if we are with them. If we're in tune with the prophets of Christmas and we attempt to tune into what God is doing at Christmas, we might do well to press into our suffering, to lean into our experiences of the desert, our own exiles, and of those around us, and as we do, to keep our eyes open for the God who is found amidst suffering. So not only do Simeon and Anna have their hearts tuned into that, the suffering of God's people, but they understand the scope of what God was doing. Like all throughout the Bible, it's telling this story of God's interaction with humanity. And that story is not very small. It's not subject or pointed at one small group of people, but rather through the whole story, it's cosmic, it's global, it's everything God created. Again, the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 52, the Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Chapter 40, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all of mankind together will see it. Chapter 49, is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and bring back those of Israel I have kept? And I will also make you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of of the earth. Romans 8 talks about the the cosmos groaning and sort of waiting redemption. Revelation pictures the physical earth and uh, uh, the world being renewed and remade by Christ, and Jesus himself says, I'm making all things new. Simeon and Anna, somehow in the midst of the suffering of Israel, understood this. They understood that God wasn't concerned just with Israel's plight, just with their suffering, but that he was concerned with the whole world, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, and it will be for a small group of people. No, for all the people. So many people around in the Gospels miss this fact, right under their noses. How? Why? Can they not see that that's true? Maybe because their view of what and how God would move and act was too small. Maybe they were crippled by their own nationalistic... Uh, tendencies and their lack of an, of an imagination to see beyond their family or their tribe or their nation. They couldn't fathom that God would move out beyond their blessed country and their position in the world. Thank God no American could be charged with that. Did you know that November is Indigenous Peoples Month? I know this for a number of reasons. One being I'm, I'm helping lead this anti racism cohort in our conference. And so we did a lot of studying and reading in this last month. And I, what I'm coming to learn is deeply troubling. Um, much of what I already knew was troubling, but it's compounding now. But what I'm coming to learn is that the stealing of land and the near, the near complete genocide of the native population that was here before we got here um, was based on the scriptural story of Israel and the Canaanites. Like we, white Christians, assumed we were the Israelites, that this was the promised land, and that the, Can- the Canaanites were, uh, or that the native people were the Canaanites that God would give us victory over. How, what is the word I'm looking for? How disturbing is that? But it, 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 it illustrates how small our view can be, that we might think that certainly God is not present among these people or doing anything over there with them. But this movement of Jesus, this Messiah who comes as Emmanuel, that Simeon and Anna are paying attention to, is not about nation-states or tribes or countries. It's about the whole world. And somehow Simeon and Anna get this. And we mustn't assert our perspective and our judgments and limit where God might be or should be involved, but rather tune in enough to the heart and character of God so that we're not shocked to find God where God is at work. And when we do, that we might become active participants, which leads us to the final stop on this little train. Verse 38 tells us that Anna told all the people who were looking for the redemption of Israel. Anna does her part in the story, like she becomes an advocate, a herald, an ambassador of the one who would suffer and die and redeem all of Israel and all of the world. Now, friends, I want Awaken to be known for a number of things. But one of the things I want us to be known for is our action, the things that we do. Because the things that we do will testify to the things that we believe, right? Right? or what we believe will inform what we do. But it's very easy to slide into this position where we start thinking that the end goal is that we're active, that we're doing something in the world, and that we're making all these things happen. But I want to sort of hold these things in tension this morning because this is the, the paradox of Christmas, the paradox of the gospel, quite frankly. Our participating in the new humanity, the, new, the kingdom that Jesus is talking about, is first and foremost about our receiving. We participate by receiving what God has done for us, and then in us, and then through us. But it starts with receiving. And receiving is so hard, is it not? Like, I've been in ministry for over 20 years now. And being a pastor, like, you're around people who care for you and love love you, and and who offer things. And over the course of the years, I've received many gifts. Our family has received many gifts. In fact, just, (laughs) I'm freshly shorn. I don't know if you can tell or not. I got my hair cut. So... (laughs) This is the best one of the best stories I have in a in a long time. I get an Instagram message from somebody who's like, "Hey Mike, a great sermon the other week. I was noticing your haircut. Your hair game's not too strong in COVID. Like you're li- usually pretty high and tight. Like for, you know. So I have this great guy down at Saint's Coast Barber right here on Saint, on, on West Seventh. I'd love to buy you a haircut." <laughs> So I was like, I can't do that. I couldn't take that. I was like, you're darn right. I'll take that. So I got my haircut last week by Manny. But for some of us, maybe not me, after 20 years of learning, we find it very difficult to receive a gift when someone offers it, right? Like, oh no, I couldn't be. I couldn't put that burden on you. Oh, I don't want to be a burden. We we feel like we have to settle the score or we have to like you know square the account, return the favor. But good news, friends. Good news. The gospel. God has extended a gift, and that gift is free. You can't pay it back. You can't earn it. You can't settle the score. Our participation in that gift actually is directly connected to our ability to receive. So if you can't receive, you can't get in on this game. You can't get in on this thing that God is doing because it's nothing but gift. It's grace. And so this Advent, may you come to realize that the greatest gift has been given. The greatest love has been given. No prerequisites. It does not, you don't need to pre approve you don't need pre-approval for this deal. It doesn't depend on anything you do. It's graced, it's gift, you don't deserve it and you can't earn it. Anna had nothing to do with the efficacy of what happened at Christmas. She was a passive observer in that sense. She only received what God was doing in that moment, that kairos moment, where both her and Simeon We're listening, paying attention, and able to receive the gift. And this is the irony. We think that our active participation and our doing, but this is the irony. It begins with receiving. And when we receive, we then become heralds of this great story and follow the lead of Simeon and Anna. So, here's what the prophets of Christmas remind us of. God answers the suffering of Israel and the world not by making it go away, but rather by entering into the suffering. That God does not defeat death and brokenness by power or might, but by solidarity and incarnation. God defeats death by dying. God destroys darkness by entering the darkness. And the suffering not only of Israel, but the whole world. Christmas, as much as it's become wrapped up in our sort of Western consumeristic views of things, It's a story about the whole world, the cosmos. Not any tribe or nation or people, but everybody. For all people. And you and I, we become participants in the wonder of this story by receiving. And in our receiving, we get to participate, to become heralds, to play a part, to be in the story. So this is my offering to you this morning. Where is the suffering around you? Where is it within you? And may I encourage you not to run, not to avert, not to redirect, but to squarely face it. Because we know time and time again that this is the place, these are the places where we find the Messiah, the Jesus of Christmas, at work in suffering. Not just for particular people groups, but for the entire world. All that God has made good and we participate by saying yes, by receiving, with open hands. So may that be you today. Pray with me, if you will. God, this morning, as we take a few moments of silence and direct our hearts and our attention to you and what you're doing in this moment, we thank you for Simeon and Anna and for the gift of their, their testimony for the way in which they were in tune with what you were up to in their midst, that they didn't miss the subtlety of your kingdom and the nuance of your suffering and the way in which you enter the world. And they received it as a gift and then became heralds of it. And so, God, I pray that you might find us today where we are and invite us to whatever steps are for us to hear, to receive, to be changed by this unlikely news. So Holy Spirit, speak, I pray. As we make our way to the table, I want to remind you that Eucharist means good gift. It is the hope that as we take this bread and this wine, this good gift of God, that we are put back together, healed, made whole, um, filled up to overflowing, and sent into the world. That we might become little Eucharists all over the world. Good gifts. The people of God for the world. So, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is my blood, which will be shed for you. And whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. Remember the good gift that I have been, that I'm now asking you to be. And so as we come to this table, we're reminded that this is the table of the Lord's, not the church's. It is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith or you who have a little faith. You who have been here often or not been here for a long time or ever before. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come not because I invite you or the church invites you, but because the resurrected Christ invites you to come and be fed, to be known here at the table. So as you take the bread, I invite you to hear these words. The body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. And as you take the cup, invite you to hear these words, the blood of Christ shed for you, take and drink. Well friends, we have come to the end of our time together, and I trust that it has been um, what you need, and um, that this Advent is finding, or you're finding this Advent to be uh, the journey that you need it to be. Before we go, a couple things you should know about or be reminded about. This is the last week for the winter market, which is up on our website. Some talented artists, as you have experienced, uh, selling their wares and crafts. So please um, support them. And uh, lots of things have been taken off the, uh, offline and canceled or not happened because of COVID. Uh, We're well aware of that. So, if you can um, purchase some gifts from there and support our artists. Um, Missional grants, uh, December 15th, last last day you can get those in. $15,000, five grants, $3,000 each. I think we already have eight proposals for these grants. So, I'm very excited. Uh, Our team's excited. Um, If you're waiting, um, get get it done and get it in by the 15th. And then, last but not least, Christmas Eve. Our plan is, Lord willing, We're gonna do an outside, candlelit singing of Silent Night out on the street with the people who show up. If you're if you're not comfortable with it, we'll, we'll try to live stream it so you can still see it and, and participate in it, but if you're comfortable, masks are gonna be necessary, required, and uh, assuming we can get a permit for it, we're gonna do it. If we can't, our good friend Melody is gonna lead uh, Silent Night by Zoom. And you can gather with those uh, that you are with and light candles and sing along with her. So that's the plan for Christmas Eve.
0: Um,
4: Lots happening at at the church. So uh, the Awaken Weekly, if you don't subscribe, please do. If you're new, so glad you're here. Um, We'd love to know that you're you're with us. You can fill out a a newcomer card online and let us know that you're here and we'll follow up with you. So um, go with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The church said together, Amen. Grace and peace, friends. Happy Advent.